when does being stubborn pay off? Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. Billy Sunday, the baseball evangelist and reformer. I am against him, he said. I'll kick it as long as I have a foot, fight it as long as I have a fist, butt it as long as I have a head, bite it as long as I have a tooth. When I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory, and it goes home to perdition. You must look at sin as the greatest enemy towards your life. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Today, as the threats of terrorism attacks remain consistently in the news, our American agencies around the world stay on constant alert. Well, ever since you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you have made a lifelong enemy of the most vicious terrorist of all, Satan and his minions are busy carrying out their orders to cause every believer in Jesus to stumble. Today, as he completes his series from the book of Nehemiah, Pastor Xavier shares the simple truths necessary for fighting back. In the final chapter of Nehemiah, we are given a call to vigilance. A call to vigilance has to do with our responsibility to guard against sins that would creep back into our lives. Your sin nature is still in you. You have a new divine nature, but your old sin nature is still in you. And if you don't walk in the Spirit, you will walk in the flesh, and so will I. All right? You have a free will before you're born again. You have a free will after you're born again. And if you don't press on the mark, abide in Christ, and trust the Spirit of God to live through you, you will walk in the flesh. There's no if or but about it. And so... We're to be a partaker of the divine nature that has been entrusted to us. And uh, to us has been imparted that divine nature that we can overcome the corruption of this world. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 through 4 says. But it doesn't happen automatically. You must trust the Lord. You must reckon the old man dead. You must put on the new man, the new mind. Otherwise, our sin nature will take over. Nehemiah is called to vigilance. He points out to us four sins that will tend to creep into our, the believer's life even after revival. Because that's the last thing we looked at, revival. And they're found here in chapter 13. And because of the length of it, we're not going to read it all together. But we will take it in the sections. Let me give you the four sins. The believer is to be vigilant so as to not be joined to the mixed multitude. The believer is to be vigilant so as to not allow the house of God to be Forsaken. The believers to be vigilant so as to not live for money. And then the believers to be vigilant so as to not be unequally yoked in marriage. Unequally yoked in marriage. Now the primary instrument of vigilance is Nehemiah, the servant leader of the people. But we also may want to make the secondary application to every believer's responsibility to be that servant of God. You can never read the Bible, study the Bible, think that was for them, not for us. That's a great mistake. Look at 15 and 16. Nehemiah saw that Judah was violating the Sabbath for profit. Don't miss that. They were trading wine presses, bringing in sheaves, loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem. Business. They were warned by Nehemiah. About that day, that they were selling the provisions. So Nehemiah, he, is, he understands why they were in captivity. Remember the beginning of Nehemiah. 
when he heard all the walls were burned down and the gates and he was grieved and he sought the Lord and the Lord sends him back to build. He knows why they went into captivity. He, wasn't, he was born in captivity. The men of Tyre also there in verse 16 brought fish. All kinds of good. They sold them. And the children of Israel bought it in Jerusalem. They're part of the problem too, you understand? It's on both sides. Now, Nehemiah rebukes them for not having learned from the past. This is so simple. Verse 17, Nehemiah contends with the nobles of Judah. They are the people that have come out of captivity. He told them what they were doing was evil. He points it out. And he charged them with profaning the Sabbath day. Very specific, okay? And then in 18, Nehemiah reminds them of their father's similar sin. The consequence was that God brought disaster on the men of Jerusalem. They would bring added wrath to Israel. Look at 19. Nehemiah enforced the Sabbath day then. He commanded the gates to be shut at sundown before the Sabbath. He commanded they not be open till after the Sabbath. That was the law. And Nehemiah was practical. He posted men at the gates in order that no burden be brought into the Sabbath. In 21, the warning was given to them by Nehemiah. He asked them why they were spending the night around the wall. What are you doing there? He told them that if they did that again, he would become physical with them. He was successful in discouraging them. And he reminded God of his service and he asked for mercy. And we see this all the time in Nehemiah. He commended himself to God all the time. Lord, you know what's going on here. And so there's warnings throughout scriptures. Now the believer is to learn from the past failures of God's people. That's why God has gone out of his way to embarrass a lot of these people. Don't waste it. How would you like God to record your failures in the Bible for everybody? For thousands of years. <laughs> they wouldn't be put there to criticize you. They'd be there to learn from your life, right? This is what he's done. And so we are exhorted in the New Testament that these were written for our example, for our learning, for our admonition. Romans 15, 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. For our learning, to learn. I want to learn from the good what to do, and I will learn from the bad what not to do. I want to learn from David being a man after God's own heart. And what a great warrior and faithful man he was to God. But I want to learn from David's sin of adultery and how he destroyed his family because he never corrected his children. I want to learn from both sides. The believers to be vigilant and disciplined enough to say no. And to shut the doors when others would entice him or her. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. The minute you say, I would never... It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you fall. You must realize that in you and in me, there's not one good thing. You take the most horrible sin that you can imagine. You got it, you can do it. You just don't walk with God. You just trust yourself and you will lead it big time. You must realize that your only hope is to abide in Christ Jesus. No other hope. The believers to be a man and woman of actions to correct the wrong and to secure that the right is done. Always. Don't ever be pressured to go along with evil. Don't ever be intimidated by evil. 
You stand for righteousness. You stand for what's right. You stand for the underdog. God will stand behind you. Always. Titus 2.15 says, Speak these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Very important. So the believer is to be vigilant so as to not live for money. Nothing wrong with money. Be a steward of it. But don't live for it. It'll give very little return. Now notice fourthly, verse 23 to 31. The believer is to be vigilant so as to not be unequally yoked in marriage. The reason for this is that God seeks a godly offspring. Malachi 2.15 God wants you as husband and wives to have godly children, Christian children, that you raise them in the Lord. 23-31, he says the following, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of the one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them, and pulled out their hair. That's great. Ezra pulled his own hair out. I like Nehemiah. He pulls their hair out. And he made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to your sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of you doing all this great evil, transgressing against God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashab, the high priest was a son-in-law of Sambalad, the Hornite. Therefore I drove him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them of every pagan. I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bring the wood offering and the first fruit appointed times. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. And so here, the vigilance to not be unequally yoked. We see it all over here. This is what they had gone into captivity. Now, I've heard people say and teach that the children of Israel learned and they never went back to idolatry. They did after the captivity. They're confronted by Ezra and Nehemiah. We forget so quickly. Somehow we think that we're the exception to the rule. Somehow we can't understand why people are in that sin. But for me, I can understand why, you know. I can know why God forgives me, but I don't know about you. I can understand why He doesn't forgive you. And that's the way we see things. That is our sin nature. Look at 23. The people had married the unbelievers of the land. In those days, after His return, the people had married women of Ashdod and Philistines. Remember Samson? Can you go give me that woman for me? His parents. His little whiny pants. Always, you know, it's like Adam and Eve. God says, listen, you got all this garden. Everything. Except one thing. They go, what thing? Where's that thing? One thing. Today we have the same thing. The Bible says a woman can do anything in the church. She can deacon, she can teach, she can do anything. Women. The only thing she can do is be a pastor teacher. Over the pulpit. As a head pastor. And what do women do? I want that one thing. God says, no. 
And he gives scriptural reasons for it. Not cultural, because Adam was formed first. He's the head of the human race, authority. And because Eve was deceived, not Adam. Scriptural. But what do women in liberal theology do? They want that place. That one thing, there it is again. Amazing. Notice in those days also, they had married women of Ammon, Moab, the descendants of Lot's daughters through incest. Genesis 19. These little compromises. Listen to me. You be careful if you're single that you don't date girls or guys who are non-believers. Because they're not going to want to read the Bible. They're going to want to spend their time in the works of the flesh of Galatians. Don't forget where you used to come from, okay? And if you think that you can handle fire and not get burned, you're deceiving yourself. Look at 24. The people had brought divisions to their homes. Okay, that's what you do when you become unequally yoked. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. Half-hearted commitment to God would result in half-hearted service. It's weird what we do. You know what I mean? Sometimes people come up to me and you know they know because I'm Mexico and they'll start talking to have Spanish. Listen, which way you want to go? English or Spanish? You know, it's crazy what we do with languages. You know what I mean? It's a compromise in different ways. Here, right here, they can't even speak the regular language. They're worshiping half of this, half of that. It's a total confusion. The, the home's divided. God wants you to have a, a united home. You serve one God. You have one book. You have one goal. Your home is strong. Look at 25. The people were confronted with their sin. Nehemiah contends with the people. That's what leaders do. That's what you're to do as a parent. That's what you're to do as a Christian. He cursed them by pronouncing uh, them cursed for their disobedience to the covenant according to the law. Because the law said, curses every man that does this. He gives you there in Deuteronomy 27, 28, the curses, the blessings, and so on and so forth. Leviticus 26, all the curses and the blessings. He struck some of them and pulled out their hair. Get their attention. He made them swear by God. You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons. Not take their daughters to your sons or yourselves. This was very clear in the law. And yet this is probably something that, that, that happens more in the church. Somehow, some of you think that you're the exception. That, that, that you're going to win that person over to Christ. And what ends up is you end up going back in the world. And I have known men and women who have walked with God, had godly mates, and their mates die, and then they go marry a non-believer. What are you thinking? You throw it all away at the end? Amazing to me. The same sin is recorded 25 or so years earlier in the book of Ezra, chapter 9 and 10. Here they are again. Nehemiah had come to Jerusalem in 444 B.C., remember, and spent 12 years here. You catch that in chapter 5, verse 14. 13 years after Ezra, who arrived in 457 B.C., you find that in Ezra 7, 7. Ezra chapter 7 to verse 10 also, or chapter 10. You have that whole time period. 93 years after Zerubbabel arrived in 536 to 37 B.C., you get that date in Ezra 1. These two men, Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, they all were involved in that long hundred years. They broke the oath, the covenant. They're in Ezra chapter 9 and 10. 
Ezra had inflicted pain on himself, Nehemiah and the sinners. I like Nehemiah better. The ongoing treacherous divorces of their wives and marriages to pagan women is an indictment. In the book of Malachi, get some. Malachi chapter 2. Let me get that real quick for you here. You have Malachi, the very last book that closes the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2 verse 11. Listen to what he says. It's a very sarcastic book. People are very sarcastic towards God. God is calling them out in their sin. They're saying, where? What? What have we done? Chapter 2 verse 11. It says, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughters of foreign God. Now look at Malachi, the same chapter, verse 13 through 16. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with your tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Here they are, they're responding to God. What are you talking about? Because the Lord has, has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. With whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion. And your wife by covenant. But he did not make them one. Having a remnant of the spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to yourselves. And let none deal treacherously. With the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says. That he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence. Says the Lord of hosts. That's the captain of the armies of heaven. And when he uses that term. He's fighting against the individual. And he's never lost a battle. Therefore take heed. To your spirit. That you do not deal treacherously. They were still coming to the temple. They were giving their offering. And they're crying at the temple. And God said. What are you doing all this? Here you traded your wife on the new model. With all some of these pagan ladies. And here you're worshiping me. Do you know how prevalent this sin is within the church of Jesus Christ today? The Christian community is almost ahead of the world in divorces and remarriages. That is not to be. It's always best to fix your marriage. Because you're driving home tonight, you get a flat, you don't trade the car in because of a flat tire. You fix the flat. Look at 26. The people had not learned from Solomon. He sinned in the very same way and married foreign women. Thousand women he had. Three hundred wives, seven hundred concubines. What a crazy guy. His sin was despised by God. And he sinned and he was despised because he despised the love of God. He was treacherous towards God. He was caused to sin by his pagan wives. He stole his heart. Turned his heart to other gods. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 6 says. And he points them to their history. Learn from it. 27 through 31, notice the people who think themselves to be the exception will be found out. 27, Nehemiah asked them if he should tolerate what they were doing without taking action. In 28, Nehemiah reveals that house cleaning begins at leadership. No one is the exception to the rule. Sam Ballot. He drove him out from him. He had compromise. You don't respect your friends. You don't respect them. They compromise the house of God, the things that you have to deal with the consequences. You're always looking for restoration, but you do not compromise the consequences for the restoration. Never. The lineage of the priest had intermarried with Sambalat the Hornite. Now you've got these pagans in the priesthood. 
Look at 29. Nehemiah asked God to remember their defilement of the priesthood and the covenant of Levi. And Nehemiah set things in order as he closes there, verse 30 and 31. He cleanses them from every pagan. He assigns duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his service. And he assigned to bring the wood offering and the first fruit at the appointed time. He gets things back in order. And he has got to remember him for his good. You do what you do for the glory of God. You do it as unto the Lord, not to be seen of man. Very important. As I mentioned earlier, Samson's love for unbelieving women caused him to lose his anointing and his sight. How tragic. The believer's greatest test today is obedience to be equally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked. Not in boyfriend or girlfriend, not in marriage. You'll be obedient to the Lord. The believer who enters in such a relationship is guaranteed a divided home. It will be divided right in half. What are the kids going to be when we raise them? Half pagan? Half Christian? Who are they going to serve? Your God or my God? Divided completely. There is no exceptions. Light and darkness cannot occupy the same vessel. You cannot have that home and for it to run smooth. It's impossible. Jeremiah 3, 6 to 8 speaks about that compromise. And he speaks about uh, my people have committed to evil. They have forsaken the fountain living waters and hewn out for themselves broken cisterns at best. They can yield no water. They can't hold it. And that's what happens. The confrontation of an unequally yoked relationship is not the most appealing, but it's most necessary. You see the believers to be vigilant so as not to be unequally yoked in marriage. Here are the sins that are easy to creep back in. They're given here in this chapter. We have to be careful. Let me give you Billy Sunday's quote here. Billy Sunday, the baseball evangelist and reformer, is said to never have spared himself from those who he wanted to help in a vigorous to against sin completely. He, he took no slack upon it. He thundered against evil, it says, from the gay 90s through the Great Depression. He preached Christ as the only answer to man's needs until his death in 1935. He said, quote, I am against sin, he said. I'll kick it as long as I have a foot. I will fight it as long as I have a fist. I will butt it as long as I have a head. I will bite it as long as I have a tooth. When I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory. And it goes home to perdition. You must look at sin as the greatest enemy towards your life and Satan. And then don't forget about you. Sometimes you're the greatest enemy because you still have sin nature. Nehemiah's call to vigilance here. He has pointed out for us these four sins that have a tendency to creep back. We become lax. We become permissive. We somehow become, we deceive ourselves. The believers to be vigilant so as not to be joined with the mixed multitude. The believers to be vigilant so as not to allow the house of God to be forsaken. And the believers to be vigilant so as not to live for money. And the believers to be vigilant so as not to be unequally yoked in marriage. Man, four good things keep you solid. Just like the four legs on a table. <laughs> nice and solid. It'll bear the weight for your life. May God give us wisdom. 
Pastor Xavier Reese and the secret to being the kind of leader that pleases God. More important simple truths to end our study series of the book of Nehemiah. And if you'd like to do some further study along those lines, you can request an unedited copy of today's Simple Truth Study. Now, the title to request is A Call to Vigilance. And for only $4, we'll send you a copy on CD. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is A Call to Vigilance, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to tell us the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This is one way we can gauge the impact of this outreach. Then join us next time for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com